Uh, the story that we're looking at is sort of the conclusion of what might be sort of thought as the middle part of the story. There's really sort of things being linked together, and in this passage that we're looking at today, it brings up the story previous to this, when the crowd says, you know, couldn't this guy who healed a blind guy have also saved Lazarus? So they're, in their minds, connecting it to something that had happened previous. And we looked at that story of this blind man. The story of the blind man started with his disciples saying, who sent this man or his parents that he should be born blind? In other words, it, it started with people that were following Jesus, that loved Jesus, that believed in Jesus, also believed that in order, because something bad had happened to this person, they must have done something or someone did something that, that caused it. So they, they believed in Jesus, but they had a belief that was formed around this idea that there's this cause and effect that when we do bad things, then bad things happen like this guy being blind. And then the story that this leads into is the story of Mary, which it connected to at the beginning of the chapter, where it says this is the same Mary that poured out a costly vial of perfume and, uh, on Jesus' feet and, and wiped his feet with her hair. And we talked a little bit about what that was, that that was the way people saved uh, their money. And this was quite likely her taking her entire life savings and just drawing it down the tubes and saying, all I need is Jesus. So it's the story of Mary, who's in this story, who we're talking about today, coming to a place where she just has a total abandonment of every other type of hope that she might have, and just saying, all I need is the hope that's in Jesus. And so it's the story of starting with this idea of some are doing something back to the story of, well, whatever the case, I just have this hope of Jesus and how we get there. And Jesus has been, we looked at the story of him talking to his disciples at the beginning, them saying we can't go down to Jerusalem. If they do, the people there will kill us. They've been trying to kill us. And Jesus says, I'm happy. I'm actually rejoicing that Lazarus is dead. Here's someone that he loves. People are, this is the story of them grieving over Lazarus, and he says, I'm actually glad he died, so that you would believe. And then the disciples on, uh, one of them says, let's go down there, that we might die with Just a there's this disconnect there. And then he talks about the story of uh, the interconnection. The first story is the, him having this conversation with Martha, and that was last week we looked at. And he, Ends up saying to Martha, I am the resurrection and the, and the life. And, and what he is saying is that we look at that, that he's saying it's this continuation. She was saying, Yes, I believe that in the future we will go to heaven and everything will be okay. But he's saying, No, you're experiencing that salvation right now in this life. And the only reason why you can have that hope later on is to the extent that you're experiencing it right now. That there's things that are happening right now where whatever is you're hoping for in the future, you should be seeing it happen right now. And if you're not seeing it happen right now, then how can you have a hope that it's going to happen in the future? And now we pick up this story with Mary. 
And the story starts with uh, sort of a, a translation of difficulty, and I'll, I'll show you what that means. Here's what we pick up. It says, 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, this is where Martha had the conversation with him, and saw him there, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Uh, this is the whole crowd, including Mary. It says Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. There was a cave. There was a stone laid across the entrance. That translation where it says he's deeply moved. But when you read that, you see Jesus was deeply moved. You get the sense that he sees the sorrow that everyone has. And seeing that sorrow, he's feeling that sorrow. He's sort of deeply moved. The problem is, is that, that the word deeply moved means snort. It's like a raging bull. Snort. That's where it comes from. In other words, it's, it's kind of gives you a different feel when you look at it. To say, this happened, Mary said that, Jesus just sort of snorts. Like he's angry, like tees him off. Like there's something inside of him that's just sort of unsettled. And then they say this and he snorts again. That was a different feel to it. And people haven't really known how to, when you're translating, how to put that. It's the exact same word as in the next story when uh, Mary pours out this perfume. The same word is used to describe everyone's disgust at this being poured out. Just like, why is this happening? You know, like she just could have been used for the pores, I think. Everybody knows it has this tone of anger that he's upset about something that, that they're doing, that he's, he doesn't like what's going on here with them. There's something there. But it's hard to know where to place that. And in the past, people have said, well, it's because, you know, the disciples had said, the people down here were trying to kill Jesus. The next story is that even when Lazarus is raised from the dead, they decided not only to kill Jesus, now they're going to kill Lazarus. So that same group of people, there's their morning, and then the next story is they're out there to kill Lazarus. It's a, there's a sense of hypocrisy that's there. So some have said, well, the reason why he's angry is because of the hypocrisy. The, the problem is, is that it's marriage that he's talking about. Also, there's no reason to believe that Mary is not feeling real, genuine sorrow. And so the sense is we don't know how to place it, so let's just put it in sort of a general tone of uh, that. And then also it says Jesus wept, and it's hard to to think of like, why would he be weeping if he was angry? Even though that's actually a very common thing. Like, like him feeling sorrowful and weeping about this situation, there's absolutely no reason to think that that kind of started with this incensed feeling at the beginning. 
So, so what is it that Jesus is feeling incensed about or that he, as many body just sort of snorts at, like almost involuntarily, just sort of this guttural reaction inside? It's pretty clear according to the story what Jesus has been upset about this whole time and what he's getting keyed up on. But right when he said at the beginning of this chapter, when he says to the disciples, I'm glad Lazarus is dying. I mean, that's pretty... Like he's obviously upset about something that's going on with his disciples here in order to like actually say, I'm actually really glad that Lazarus died because so that you guys will believe. He's upset about the fact that his disciples, he says to Martha, he says, Do you believe? That's making the conversation with her. And then with Mary, he doesn't even bring it up. He's just it just comes to this place and just snorts at it because he's so frustrated. With it. He's not frustrated with whatever hypocrisy or whatever is going on in the crowd. That's to be expected. What he's upset about is here he has his disciples, he has Martha, he has Mary, he has these people that are close to him, that know that he loves them, that have seen these miracles like this blind man receiving sight. They obviously believe, they obviously are following Jesus. But he's just, it's like he's taken back at how much disbelief there is amongst the believers. That's what's catching him off guard. If you're like, if you're like talking to everybody in this room, let's just say, I don't know, maybe not 90%, we're just going to say 90%. 90% of people say, I believe. It's like, but if you really looked at us, it's pretty remarkable how much disbelief. Those that say they believe really just don't believe when it comes down to it. What he's saying here is he knows what God's going to do. He's coming into, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But what he's upset about is their demeanor and the way that they're thinking coming into this miracle. And the demeanor that they have. The way they're approaching things, Mary says, if you had come. And then the crowd echoes that. You know, couldn't this guy have done this? And, you know, also done this? And she's weeping. They're weeping. There's no visible difference coming in to this situation that is any different between those that believe and those that don't. There's zero difference between the people that are following Jesus, the people that have Jesus talking to them about all this, their experience, all these miracles. There's zero difference between them and anyone else. And Jesus just snorts at that. It's like, it's like how can that be? You know, how is it that we can say we're following Jesus and, and have these experiences, maybe not even on par with like the blind man receiving sight, but to whatever extent we have, even if it was on par with the blind man receiving sight, we had that experience. They didn't walk away with anything that changed anything other than everybody else. And, and Jesus is kind of just incensed by that. He says, he starts to explain it a little bit. Which is just the great thing about Jesus. He doesn't just get up at a TV. He starts to talk about it a little bit. It says, 
four Jews is deep in the river, sorts it, yeah. And he came to the tomb as a cave with a stone in the house. He says, take away the stone. But Mark, Martha says, she sort of hesitates on the just following him. She, she's not just, she starts talking about what she's doing too. She says, but by this time there's a bad odor for, for he's been there for four days. Now, she's not just giving like a practical thing, it is that. There's a, a certain sense of closure that's happened. You want us to like open this all back up? You know, start back up again? And, and then Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, we take that to mean that Jesus is saying, If you believe, then God will raise Lazarus from the dead. But he makes it really clear she doesn't believe, no one else believes, and yet he raises Lazarus from the dead. So, He's not at all saying, if we have faith, then God will do a miracle. That's not the case. That's not the case in almost anything. There's times when Jesus brings out people's faith, but oftentimes no one really has any. At least not in this story, they bury dummies in the ground for four days. What he's saying is, is that why he's upset is, because God is about to give them another experience of salvation. Right? And you might say to an even higher level of degree. Whatever the case is. It's another experience of salvation. And what he's upset about is that the belief that they're having, the way that they're acting prior to that, is going to mean they're going to miss out on the benefit of this. It's going to happen. He's going to be raised from the dead. But it's going to be a completely meaningless thing in their life, just like it was with the blind man. He's saying that where it is, our thoughts, what it is that we're thinking, before, in the middle of a problem, before God gives us salvation to that problem or fixes it, that changes what we will see of God. That's what he's saying. Uh, what does he mean by that? I'm not even going to give you like personal examples because I don't want to like uh, degrade myself so much in front of everybody. But, but you know how that this goes. Like, you've got some sort of problem, right? You will throw everything you got at that problem. Talk to everyone, read self-help books. You might even go to a fortune teller. You'll go to the Catholic church or a Protestant church. You'll go everywhere you can. You'll throw everything you have at that problem. And then, let's just say, for argument's sake, God saves us. After we've done all that, what do we walk away from? Do you walk away with this sense like, oh, God just saved me? I mean, you walk away with, yeah, God saved me, this saved me, I don't know, I'm just glad this problem got solved. You're not really left with this, you know, it might even just be you're left with, man, what well, here's how to address this problem. You, like, throw everything you can at it, and something sticks, and you don't really even know what it is. You see, it's like a, a science experiment or something like that. You have to start, if you don't start with some sort of hypothesis or you're not looking for something, then when you get some sort of result, what is it you've learned from this? And he's 
he's saying where we need to go if we really want to see what's going on here is we kind of need to go where Mary is going in this, where she just is complete abandonment. That would be a pure science experience. Just saying, look, I'm going to take all the other factors out. I'm going to get rid of all this cash. I have nothing now. Let's just see what happens if it's just Jesus. Then, if you're safe, what are you left with? You're oh, I guess all I needed was Jesus. But if in our mind, in our heart, we're just throwing everything else out at it, and God does it, like he always does it, like we're experiencing, it's not like there's just one experience of salvation where most of the time we just don't even see it. He's saying that the real value, the real pain that's here in this situation, that the, the pain that the disciples are feeling when they is voiced in this phrase, like, wish was gone, we'll just die with them, that pessimism that's there, the root of that has nothing to do with God failing to give us experiences of salvation in our life right now. That is all we can do is just hope for something in the future. He says, that's not the problem. The problem is not God's failure to give us enough evidence that he's saving us. The problem is, is we're not taking anything from that. We're not looking for that as anything other than just some sort of maybe tool to get some sort of problem solved. But we're not walking away, we're not. And, and what we're walking away from is something that, that offers no help in the next situation. Well, what is it then that the glory of God did, that he says that we will have if our thinking, and, and he's saying he spent this whole time adjusting their thinking so that they will see this as something, they'll be able to see the glory of God. And here's where he explains it some more. He says, they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I, I thank you that you have heard me. Before anything gets solved, Jesus is already thankful. I mean, you could stop right there and that would be benefit enough. Like, one of the great things about seeing the glory of God is instead of just being, whoa, just, we'll just go die with Jesus. Or just like a weeping lamenting over every single problem. And it's not to say that they're not something terrible that's serious, but just being able to, in the midst of it all, before anything is solved, have an attitude of thankfulness. That would, I mean, it's not even like we should be thankful and that's a virtue we should be thankful. I'm just saying that the, the life that's represented by us when we're feeling thankful quality of life. You know how to say it's like when you feel thankful about something, what well, what is that? It's just like, oh, I'm very happy. I'm kind of enjoying it. You know, it's like it's good. You know, there's a sense of like thankfulness inside life. It's not a virtue, but it's like this demeanor on life versus oh all this stuff is going wrong and how am I gonna get this and if this had happened then then maybe this would have been better or just like living life in that versus living life in this. That's a pretty significant thing. And he's saying this has nothing to do with what God is or isn't going to do. He's doing enough for us to always live over here. But the problem is we're not 
seeing or testing out or laying it out in our minds. What we're not like laying it out almost like you'd say Mary did, just saying, well, let's just see what happens if I just totally abandon everything. Let's see what Jesus does. Not just, well, what if I just was to say, look, my only hope is a prayer. You know, what would happen at that point? He's saying, that needs to happen. Somehow that needs to, we need to, in our minds, come to some sort of belief that our only hope is Jesus. And if we can come to that, then when we have one of these experiences of salvation that we're actually having all the time, we can, in a real sense, like a deductive way, be able to say, well, I pretty much have come to this conclusion that, like, this guy's dead. My best thing I could do is bury him. And I did that, but that really wasn't, you know, and then, like, I tell you, just, let's just move on. And I come up, it's like, that's, I've come to this place, like, there is me, I mean, if Jesus does something like that, then this happens, what are we left with? Are you left with, well, you know, I really, it's important to have someone read through your resume, and, you know, it's important for me to, like, you know, you're not left with any of that. And it's not to say you can't have any of that, but it's just, it's like, Saying that you can't enjoy anything in life or have fun 
or, or do things or contribute in some sort of way. We should say, why is it that we're always turning everything into this lamenting, lamenting, harsh burden and we're so afraid? Why is it that there's no difference between us and everyone that has no hope whatsoever that isn't seeing it all the time? If you see it, that God has set out this experience of salvation, it should have some, and the effect that it should have is just take the things in the way we're participating in life and doing things and not remove it and make it useless. It makes it thankful. And not just like, oh, thank you, thank you, I mean, like, what represents thankfulness? Like, it makes it like, ah, I'm just so happy I can go to this game. I mean, it's super fun, I'm like, doing this thing, I'm like, filling with stuff, I'm doing this, it makes, like, seeing a smart game better because you're. It's like I went to the sports game one time in baseball. Best baseball game I ever went to. They had given this like 20 years ago. They gave out these little devices that, that, that you could bet on every little play. That <laughs> yeah, sounds weird. And it wasn't like you actually bet money. You just on this little machine and got little points. And they were trying out like how betting in the stands work if you play by play anymore. It was bad. But it made the game kind of enjoyable because you were like filling stuff the whole time, not just watching us. Now, I, okay, so I told you these examples are bad for me. <laughs> but you kind of get what I'm saying. Is he's saying part of the problem is really not the problem that needs to get fixed. It's not what that sort of, that there's something that we need to be kind of looking for or trying to figure out. There needs to be some sort of demeanor that we're having, some sort of thing that has to do with belief that's there prior to, and then we will see what's really glorious about that. And, and what is it then, sorry I digressed, that he's saying that's glorious about that? He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And he says, I knew. He's saying no as in an empirical fact. Like this is what he knows. This is what he has assurance of that you always hear me. But, I've only said this for the benefit of the people standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. But what does he mean by sent? That you believe that he sent? He says, one of the things that we need to understand is, one, there's something about the beginning and what we carry over, that we should be carrying over in such a way that's trying to figure out whether or not this is actually God saving us or not. That would be one thing. Is this, am I just making this stuff up? Is this just in my head that God's doing this? Like each time you experience God's salvation, you should carry it over in some sort of way that says, well, what would give me a little more confidence that this actually was God? And, and it's going to involve something like Mary throwing away all the cash. Not that you have to throw away all your cash. But it's going to involve some sort of other hope that you have letting go of it to see if this hope stands without that. Does that make sense? In some sort of way, right? That would just be logical. You would have to take away. Let's this next time, I'm going to take away a few of these other factors because I kind of want to see if this Am I right in assuming that this is God doing this? 
but what God's actually saving me here. And the problem is, is I know for me, is I just don't want to take those things away. You know, I really don't want, even though I believe that God's going to do it, I kind of don't want to face the next problem with having fallen on my cash flow. You know what I mean? I just, and, and I'm always left with the same feeling, now I'm in my 50s and I still have to live with It's like, when am I going to finally just grow up? You know, and just accept this for what it is, or at least like take the chance to try and figure it out if this is like, you know, at least for you, maybe I'll take $10 and throw away or something? I don't know. He says, unless there's something along the lines of that, then how are you going to have assurance? It's not that you just pull it out of thin air. And he says, the assurance that we have, it's not just in, is there something God's doing it? But he says, when he says sent, he's talking about something specific. And Martha caught on and she says, he's the Savior of the world, the Messiah. What he's talking about is what he was being sent into this world to do, that he's about ready to do, because he's thinking about this right now, because they're about ready to kill him on the cross, and he knows that. What he's saying is, at some point we need to ask some questions ahead of time, or align things in whatever way you think you need to kind of align them to, so that if it is God saving us, I kind of have a little bit of an idea of it more so that this is, and that's carrying on. He says the other thing is that's really important is to do the same thing of trying to figure out why it's not doing this. Is he doing it because I've got my act together, I'm responsible? Is he doing it because of the reasons that the disciples had said at the beginning of this whole thing of saying, like, this man, who sinned? This man or his parents? You know, the sense that, like, the reason why I'm Seeing and I have this is because I'm better than someone. Is that the case? But he says, no, I want them to understand that that's not it, but it's because I've come down and I've done whatever needs to be done that's right. I'm the one who's, who's connecting them to God in this way that has this assurance where I can say, I know that you always hear me. How will they know that you always hear them? Especially, how will we know that God always hears us if we think that when we mess up, God's going to turn his head and run away? If we think that this salvation, that something, that whatever it is that happened is good, because we've been throwing all this stuff at it, we now walk away with some sort of idea that this worked because God saw that I was righteous in some sort of way. And it's like, right? How are we going to have assurance with that? It's not just throwing away the cash. That's like the easy part. The hard part is to look at things honestly and admit, repent. And see, now I'm not having anything here. Nothing's happening because I've got some sort of skill or benefit, or I'm not. My relationship with God isn't in any way, it's completely and utterly dependent on whatever it was that happened 
when Jesus died on the cross. It's completely dependent, not on me doing something to get up with God, but on God's willingness to come down and become a human being and live here in the middle of this mess with us. And to deal with us and I gently snoring sometimes. But raising Lazarus to the dead, you know, not only do we not contribute, but we didn't even believe. We didn't even contribute in the sense of just even having trust in Jesus. And he's saying to them, I'm, it's not that he's angry at us or this. He just wants us to be able to have the security that's being offered to us to be able to understand that the way his relationship is with God, we can have the assurance that our relationship with God is the same because of our connection to Jesus and connection to this message of Jesus. And this is what the message of Jesus is about. This is what he's been talking to them about. And this is what all these words are of like starting with the forgiveness of our sins, repentance, and believing that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that Jesus said that while he was being betrayed, you know, Jesus betrays him with a kiss, his closest people, he's killed our God and raises him from the dead. Everything about Jesus is geared to giving us an assurance that God has a plan, that God loves us, that God cares for us. That it's going to work in God, even if the world goes to the point of we're dead. That if God wants us to live in this life, we'll live. If He wants us to live in the life to come, we'll live. And that at no point whatsoever is it at all dependent on anything that we've done. Either bad pulling us away or good pulling us to. It only has to do with Jesus. That's not to say that we can't take joy and thankfulness and participating and doing things, videotaping, warning our kids and doing whatever we're doing. If stress feels good to you, do it. How about it? I mean, I admit, a little bit of stress, I mean, it feels kind of good. And it makes you feel a little, I mean, you know, I don't think that gets a little, whatever you want to do with that. If it could put you in a moment of thankfulness, stress out. <laughs> but he's just saying, that's a choice. And if that's what you want, then. But you don't have to go there. If it doesn't feel that good to be like completely stressed out all the time and just worrying about this, you don't have to. He's not saying, oh, well, you're so bad of a person. That's not what he's. He wants us to have the freedom. And if we want to have some thankfulness, he says it's there. He says it just requires that one, we're going to have to start putting a little bit of trust in me. And that may mean throwing away some of these other folks a little bit. Slowly. Just to see if this hope in Jesus really is. And then to listen to what Jesus is saying and understand what this hope is based on. That God is saving us and this is why. Because of forgiveness that has come through Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done to provide a different way 
for us to connect to God. One that is not at all dependent on us not failing. That's a bad word for me. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I just pray that you would bring all of us. Uh, first of all, just thank you for your patience, for all of us, that you were patient with your disciples, and Mary, and Martha. But I just pray that you would just help bring us to a place of belief so that as we just encounter the place that you're saving us so many different ways and bring so much good into our life here on earth. We will walk away the glory of God. The glory of God in you, Jesus, and what you've done for us in the new way through forgiveness that you've given us. How that assurance that you love us and you always love us and you always have a plan.